Well, thank you for leading us in worship, and those words are really a great lead-in to what I want to share with you today. Um, we're, we're studying the book of 1 Peter together. We started into this seven weeks ago when all of this COVID craziness began, and I chose this book because it's a, it's a great challenge for us when we're experiencing difficulties and trials and, and things that we don't really want to go through, but we know that God can use them. And that song sang about, in that song, you sang about building your life upon Christ and what He's done and, and allowing Him really to build in you what He wants to produce in us. And, and as I said, that very much leads into our passage for today. Earlier, um, I read to you First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which spoke about us being a chosen people, that God has called us for, to be a people of, that He possesses, that He owns. And what I want to deal with now is, as the passage continues to develop is this idea of now that God has called us to himself and given us a new life, how does this new life look in the real world? This passage that I'll read in just a moment was, was a, a very significant passage for me during a difficult time in my life when, when I was working in an environment where I was experiencing some some resistance and even at times maybe some persecution because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God used a friend to point me to this passage and the Lord used it to encourage my heart let me read it for you we're studying in first Peter chapter 2 and I'll be reading verses 11 and 12 and then we will delve into a little deeper here's what Peter writes beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, as we've studied First Peter together, we've seen that God has given us a, a new life. That a living hope, Peter says in verse number 3, that is only ours because we've been born again. The finished work of Christ on the cross has allowed us to be regenerated. That is, born again. A whole new existence that God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And where Peter now brings his his readers, and really brings us, 2,000 years after he wrote it, is he's going to help us understand that now that all things are new, how are we to live out this new life in the real world? You know, I have at times done some traveling. We, my, my family and I, we, we aren't world travelers, but Usually about once a year, like probably most of you, we, we take a trip, vacation. We might go to the beach, or we might go somewhere and hike, or, or those kinds of things. And, and like you, we, we pack up some suitcases, we load it in the back of the car, we travel someplace to an Airbnb or maybe a hotel, and we carry all of our luggage in and go into our bedroom and put the luggage down and take a break, and then a divide occurs. We're kind of divided into two groups at that point. Maybe all of people. Those who unpack the suitcase and those who live out of it. 
Now myself, even if we're staying at a hotel for one night, I prefer to unpack my suitcase. I, I look forward to having some type of a dresser there and, and take my clothes out of the suitcase and put them into the, into the dresser drawer and, and live out of that suitcase for just a moment, or just a day, that is. Others, though, and maybe you're one of these people, they're very comfortable living out of the suitcase. You know, when you travel, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense if I'm staying for one night to unpack my suitcase. But for me, it just kind of allows me to feel at home. Now, I, I share that illustration because it's a great lead-in to what Peter is going to challenge us with. And that is... But even though we're living on this planet, even though we're living in this world, Peter says, you live out of your suitcase. Don't, don't put your roots too deep. Don't get too comfortable because you're really only passing through. This is an important thing for us to understand about our new life in Christ. And it's this, that we don't really, we don't really belong here anymore. That we're just temporarily living here. We are temporary residents here in this world. God has a whole new existence for us now. And Peter wants us to understand that. So let's look at this together. Open up your Bible. If you haven't already done that, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's look together at verses 11 and 12. And the first thing I want us to see is that as God's new representatives, as brand new creatures, as those who have been born again, regenerated, we now have, first of all, a new loyalty. A new loyalty. Verse number 11. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Sojourners and exiles. Now those are words that we probably don't use very often. But I hope that maybe together we can understand what it is that Peter is trying to help us to realize about our new existence. First of all though, he calls us beloved. He calls his readers beloved. Now, if you're holding an NIV Bible, the New International Version, it may say, dear friends. And, and that's probably a, an acceptable translation. But I appreciate the word beloved. It's not a word we've used very often, but it has a lot of meaning to it. And it, and it literally means to be loved by someone. And in this passage, we understand from the previous context... That Peter is saying that if you're in Christ today, you are loved by God. He says in verse number 9 that you once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have. This is what God has done to us, done for us, done in us. He's brought us into relationship with Him and allowed us to be his objects of an immeasurable love. That's what that word beloved means. We know John 3.16, at least some of us might, and it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, God loves us. Romans 5.8 says that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
So the cross shows God's love. Ephesians 2.4 says that if you're in Christ today, that's only because of His great love. Beloved, we need to see that if you're in Christ today, God loves you. No matter what your past includes, no matter what your present includes, no matter what your future may include, God loves you with an immeasurable love. And as part of that love, as, as part of being the chosen people of God, Peter wants us to understand something about our new loyalty. And it's this, it's now changed. Prior to experiencing the love of God, really brought to us through the cross of Christ. We were very at home in this world. We fit nicely. But now what Peter has done is, having established that we're in this relationship with God, that he loves us, he's now going to help us to see what does that mean about a relationship that we have with the world. He uses two terms. Sojourners and exiles. Now, I told you this was once a, a life verse for me, and I memorized it in the NIV. And it said, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. ESV says sojourners and exiles. Let's try to understand what these words are expressing. First of all, they're synonymous. They're, they're really a way of describing the same idea. And let, let me try to express to you what it is. A sojourner is one who is in a country... But it's not his own. He's, he's an alien there. He, he, he doesn't really belong there. He's an immigrant, maybe. Literally, it means to be alongside the house. Is what this word literally means. So if you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Christ, what this means is you do not belong to this world system. But... You are living right alongside those who do. So you're an alien here, a sojourner. And then Peter describes a little more and says that you are an exile. NIV says a stranger in this world. Again, it's, it's very similar in meaning, and, and it, it just means a visitor is what it means. That you're here temporarily, that you're traveling through a country for just a brief stay. So what Peter is trying to express to us is, is that our citizenship is no longer of this world. God has called us into his beloved. He's made us a new creature. And part of that new identity, that, that new, really, personality, that, that new relationship with God, we are now citizens of heaven. Here how Paul the Apostle describes it in Philippians chapter 3. He writes, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. The important part for us now is that our citizenship is in heaven, not of this world. That's important for us to realize. If you're in Christ today, you have a new loyalty. 
And part of living the new life in the real world is realizing that change that has occurred. You should, at times, feel like an alien. You should, at times, feel like a stranger in this world. Because you and I don't really belong here anymore. We await for our Savior to come and to bring us to be with Him. God is placing in us a new heart, a new spirit that doesn't quite fit here. Do you feel that? Do you understand that dynamic today in living in this real world as a new creature? So that's the first thing we need to see is that there is a a new identity. But the second thing Peter wants us to understand is that there's a new enemy. And the enemy is within Look what he says. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now it's easy to think that, that, the, that the enemy might be the media or, or even right now it's very popular to view politicians as is maybe the enemy, or, or the Republicans, or the Democrats, or, or your neighbor, or your boss, or your employee, or your wife, or your husband, or your children, or your parents, or, or whatever. But listen, none of those people are the enemy. They are not your enemy. The enemy that Peter is speaking of now, that wages a war against your soul, is your own flesh. The passions of the flesh, Peter says. You see, we have a new enemy now. We're not made for this world. We are aliens and strangers in this world. Sojourners. We don't really belong here. Exiles. But yet, we still live in this body with its passions and its desires. Now, God placed those in us he he placed in our body a desire but these desires have been twisted by sin and that twisted desire peter is calling a passion of the flesh and it wages war against our soul peter writes i urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This urge is a very strong word. It's used often in Scripture. Romans 12.1 I urge you, I, pe- I appeal to you, Paul writes. And most of the times when it's used, it's building upon some other truth that's been laid down behind us. Some truth about our new identity and the writer then appeals for us to live out that new identity in this world. Just as Peter has done here. He has said that you are a chosen people. You are the beloved. You are now God's people. So he's urging us now, in view of our new identity, in view of what Christ has done, he's urging us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, usually when you see an expression like passions of the flesh, our our mind typically goes to things such as sexual lust. And certainly it includes that. But that's not all that it is. Galatians 5 describes these 
passions of the flesh. Let me read some of the list that is, that is given to us in Galatians chapter 5. This passion or works of the flesh are, are evident, the writer writes. And he gives us a list. It's not a complete list, but, but it's a list of things that the passions of the flesh would include. He says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These things, Paul writes, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice these things, those who live out these things in their lives, will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the passions of the flesh. And Peter says, war against them. You see, we don't really belong to this world. We are aliens and strangers here. And everyone around us, all the world around us, is living for the passions of the flesh. You can see it on the internet. You can see it in television. You can see it just looking, out the, looking across the street at our neighbors. That the world around us is consumed with the passions of the flesh. And Peter is saying, now that you are part of the beloved, now that you are God's chosen people, Abstain from that. It's not of God. This passions of the flesh, twisted by sin, God-given desires for food or, or for, for shelter or, or for things or for sexuality, now twisted by sin, are desiring to rule us. And God is saying through the Apostle Peter, no, you don't belong here anymore. You don't have to give in to the passions of the flesh. Instead, abstain from these things. I urge you to do that. So it's important for us to know our enemy and to realize that the ultimate enemy to living out what God has called us to in His Word is our flesh. And you, you will not rid yourself of it completely. You will never be able to do that. And Christ won't rid you of it completely until you are with Him. Now that's not all that Peter has to say to us about living out the new life in the real world. He wants us to understand the new reality. So we saw that, that we have a new loyalty, and then we saw that, that we have a new enemy, but now he wants us to see that there's a new reality. Look with me. And see what it is. He says, these, these, these passions of the flesh, they wage war against your soul. So, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, we've already alluded to part of this new reality. And that's the war. The war that rages against our soul. The war we have with the passions of the flesh. This is our new reality. And this is a strong word. This, this word of waging war. It's a military word, obviously. It describes an extended campaign. So this war is not going to go away. 
until you're with Jesus. Now that should both encourage us and challenge us. Let me encourage you with this. If you're waging war against the passions of the flesh, let that be an encouragement to you. That's an evidence of God's Spirit working in your life. Before you were part of the Beloved, before God chose to bring you to be part of His possession, there was no war in your life. You just gave in to the passions of the flesh. But now, you're convicted when you respond to the passions of the flesh. You know that it's wrong and you don't want it. So the war is raging. But it should also challenge you. Because the fact that Peter tells us to war against it tells us that victory must be possible. A, a daily victory. Not a lifelong victory. I can't, I can't promise you now that this will be gone forever. But I can tell you that through, the God's, through God's Spirit, through the power of His Spirit, that you can experience victory today. Moment by moment, you can experience a victory over this flesh. This is the new reality. But here's the other half of the new reality. That you and I must live in this world. But God has a purpose. So let's see the other half of this reality. Peter writes, keep your conduct, that is the way that you live your life, huh? the, the, the everyday events of your life, what you think, what you do, how you feel, this is your conduct. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Gentiles. What is, what is this word? Literally, it's the Greek word ethnos, and, and it, it literally means nations. So, so this is, when Peter uses this word, he is speaking about those in this context for those who have not put their trust in Christ. They are not part of the beloved. They are not part of the chosen people of God. The, the, the passions of their flesh win the war against them. The passions of the flesh rule their lives. Peter says, as you're living next to them, alongside them, remember that earlier term we used, as you're living alongside them, let your conduct, let your life be honorable. Let's see what that word honorable means. Let it be honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Now that's a, a hint as to what this word honorable means. And it is literally the word good. This word good is actually used in this verse twice. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles good, is what it literally says. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Now what does good mean? Have you ever tried to define the word good? It's not easy to do. When is something good? Well, good means this, that it aligns with its purpose. I have this pulpit here. It's holding my Bible, holding my iPad with my notes, holding a sheet of paper. It's good because it is fulfilling its purpose. Its purpose is simply to hold these things for me so that my hands can be free. It's good. It fulfills its purpose purpose so peter says that our life the deeds that we do 
should align with our purpose. That's what good means. What is our purpose? Our purpose is part of our new reality. The new reality is we're at war with our flesh. Our new reality is we are living alongside people that are not at war with their flesh. They've just given into it. But the new reality is that as we do that, our lives should align with our new purpose. This is the new reality. But it says here that as you do that, that these non-believers who, who Peter calls Gentiles in this passage, they'll speak against you. They'll speak against you as evil doers. Now, Peter's day, when he wrote this, to a set of people who would receive this, the church that would receive this, what they were accused of was, as Christians, living in the Roman Empire, They were accused of being rebels, opposed to Roman practices such as sexual sin, and opposed to to the Roman progress such as slavery. See, the Christians, they opposed these things. They opposed sexual promiscuity. They opposed slavery. They opposed these things. And so the Romans hated them for it. Additionally, the the Christians would not bow down and worship Caesar as God. So those around them hated them for that and saw them as rebellious and even called the Christians atheists because they would not call Caesar God. So when Peter wrote this, that they're going to say evil against you, those are the kind of things that the hearers would have understood him to mean. But what does that mean in our culture today? Cross the river of time from from Peter's life in the first century in Asia Minor into America today. If you live for Christ today, in in the battle against your flesh, with a new loyalty, realizing you're going to be with people who are not loyal to Jesus, what will they say about us? Will they respect us? Will they admire our dedication, our loyalty to the Lord Jesus? Peter thinks not. He's preparing us to understand that those who don't follow God are going to malign us and they're going to misunderstand us and they're going to misrepresent us and they're even going to speak against us as evil doers. This is the reality that we have. But listen, you don't walk this alone. God never promises that He will keep you from these kind of struggles. But what He does promise us is that He will be with us through them. I share with you, this was once a a life verse of mine. I was working in an environment that was not a, a positive environment for believers. And I had people who were speaking against me as evil doers. And God used this passage in my life to encourage me to know that He's with me. That I'm part of His chosen people. That I'm part of, 
of his possession, that, that I'm part of the royal priesthood, the holy nation, a chosen race, that I don't live for this world anymore, but instead I live for Christ. And, and that is a whole new life. That is a, a whole new reality. It's a whole new loyalty. Yeah, there's a new enemy that comes with it. But the new reality is that there's also now a new possibility. And this is my, my last point I want you to see. Look what he says. You live out this honorable life among the Gentiles, this life that aligns with God's purpose, that they, being the followers of this world, not of Christ, that they may see your good deeds, so those deeds that align with God's purpose, and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does this mean? It means there's a new possibility. There, there's, there's the possibility that my life, reflecting Christ, will draw people around me to Him. If you would, it gives me an opportunity to be a, a conduit from the strangers in this world, strange to God, that I might usher them into His presence, that I might allow them to become part of God's possession, that I might be able to speak to those who don't have mercy about the mercy of God, that I may be able to talk to those who are not part of the people of God how they can become children of God. This is what God does. He uses our lives to glorify Himself on the day of visitation. When God chooses to come into the people's lives, He takes our lives that He calls assault, He calls it light, and uses that to show people the truth of God's life-changing power. This is God's plan. This is how it is that he is going to fulfill his great commission. So wherever you are, wherever you experience this kind of opposition, know it's the battle that God has called you to. You don't belong here. You're just traveling through. Don't worry about unpacking your suitcase. You're here for just a short amount of time. And while you're here, you're in a war. Be prepared for the battle. The enemy is not without. The enemy is within. But what we have is an opportunity to live out Christ in front of people who don't know Him and point them to Him. That's what we say here at Centerpoint. That our purpose as a church and our purpose as believers is to point people to Jesus Christ in His Word. And that's what this passage is calling us to. To let our lives point to Him. Now I've got three questions that I want to throw at you. Three, three series of questions. The first one is this. Have you thanked God today that He chose you? That He chose you? That that He called you to Himself. That He remade you. He regenerated you. That you are born again. Have, have you thanked Him for that? Do you live a life of thankfulness to Him? 
Because he chose you. I don't understand his choice. I don't have to understand it. I just thank him for it. Second question. Are you seeing the evidence of the battle in your life? Are you seeing that you are waging war against the passions of the flesh? Because if you're a believer today, they're waging war against you. Are you waging war against them? Sure, you may have setbacks. You're going to have setbacks. And the passions of the flesh will win on occasion. They will win the battle. But Christ will win the war in your life. So if you find yourself on the losing end of one of those battles, confess it to Him and wage war against the passions of the flesh. And then finally, how about your conduct among the Gentiles? I really think this is what Peter is, is most driving us to at this point. He wants our eyes to see the people around us who don't know Christ. Are we living before them Christ? Are we showing them the difference that God has made in life? Is your conduct good? Does your conduct align with God's purpose? If not, tell Him that you want it to be. Confess that to Him and, and let Him know that you have drifted, but you want your life to reflect Him. I hope this passage can be a great encouragement to you today. That if you feel like you're in a war, you are. But the war is not against the people around you. The war is against the passions of the flesh. And if you're being resisted by those around you who aren't followers of Christ, know that's expected. It's what it means to be part of the chosen people of God. But God uses it to draw people to himself and fulfill his great commission. It's why we read it every single week at the end of our service. And I look forward to when we can actually meet in person. And we'll all stand together, and I hope you'll be here that day. We all stand together and we read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. And I want to read it to you right now, and, and I hope that, that you allow it to be a a great challenge to your heart to see what God is doing. Listen to what Jesus said to his followers. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's that word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's their conduct. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's their new identity. This is what Jesus offers to us. How to live the new life in the real world. Let me pray for you. Father, encourage your children who are listening and watching right now. Lord, whatever is going on for them, I pray that you would remind them of who they are, that they are your children, 
that you'll remind them that the battle is not against other people, it's against the passions of their flesh. And that this new reality means that we live our life in such a way that points people to you. May we live this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you.